Well, I am really excited for this remarkable entrepreneur that I have joining us today, and I want to share his messages with you. And it's a, it's another one of those two four. He is an extremely successful entrepreneur, and I asked him to share some of the lessons on building a great business, serving great clients like yourself. Uh, but also, he's a he's a remarkable entrepreneur in that. He is a tax expert, and particularly in resolving challenges. And uh, all of us have challenges on the way and taxes along the way. And so I've asked him to really be prepared to dive in because, you know, one of the things about taxes, we all want it to be equitable and fair, but the definitions are often wrong and the timing is not always great. So you don't want to miss this. This is a big part. You know, remember we have a not too silent partner. <laughs> you know, wherever you are in the world, there's somebody that's your partner who will remind you that there's a big share that you're doing as you're accelerating your success. I'm John Bowen, co-founder of AES Nation, all about accelerating your entrepreneurial success. Stay tuned. You definitely don't want to miss this. Ordinary success. No way. You want amazing, remarkable, exceptional breakthroughs. Dig deep. Think bold. Drive hard. Watch yourself soar beyond your dreams. AESNation.com Michael, I am so excited to have you. You really were one of the earliest pioneers, maybe even you know, started the tax resolution business and you've been one of the guys working with the IRS here uh, since 1988 to t help other entrepreneurs make a huge impact. And we had a good fortune meeting at a mastermind group, both you and I are lifelong learners at Joe Polish's yep. Genius Network. And I, as soon as we met, I knew I had to share you with our audience. So Michael, thank you for joining us. Hey, thank you, John. I'm um, honored to be on the podcast with you and honored to also share my message uh, with your audience. So it's my honor. Well, you know, it's, it's one of the things I do have. I have a master's in tax and you, you know, you've got an, uh, an unbelievable tax background. Uh, mine was 1985. I got it and it's kind of the world's changed since then. And they're still working on changing it, too. But yeah, one of the things that, you know, I always like to know the background, how we got, you know, the journey that we all had as entrepreneurs. And, you know, there's some where I go, geez, you know, Michael, at five, you know, you may have known you were going to do this. I, I'm right. betting a lot that you didn't at five wake up and say you were going to be, the, you know, the pioneer whole industry on tax resolution. Right. So uh, I got involved in 1998, but just prior to that, I was just laid off from a corporate job. Uh, I was in the corporate world for about 18 years. Uh, CFO was my last position of a pretty large uh, national wholesaler and distributor of uh, women's fashion shoes. And I got laid off. And to be honest, it wasn't the first time. Uh, but this time was different because this time I realized after I was packing up my office and putting my stuff in my car that I was unemployable. I was never, ever going to work for anybody ever again and well, I had let me just stop here for a second Michael this is one that many of our audience share that we we were employable and then all of a sudden there's that realization that we're not but there's a big difference to know we're not employable and go into the tax side so tell me how that came so uh, 
as I'm driving my car from my former place of employment up to my house, I pulled off to the side of the road. I don't know how long I was there, and I was thinking a couple of things. Number one was, what was I going to tell my wife this time? Because it wasn't the first time. Secondly, I was already $100,000 in debt, and I'm living in Los Angeles, newly married, couple of young kids. I didn't know where the money was coming from, from the, for the June mortgage payment. And I guess the third thing is I was unemployable. I wasn't going to work for anybody. And then a vision popped into my head. I remember watching, I was a C-SPAN nerd, and I remember watching uh, the televised Senate finance hearings a few months prior where the average American got up in front of the TV cameras and were testifying how the IRS ruined their lives, closed down their businesses, padlocked their doors, uh, spouses and relatives actually dropping dead from the stress. And for what? I mean, these weren't bad people. They were not evading taxes. They weren't putting money in foreign bank accounts. They were ordinary Americans that life happened to. You know, death or serious illness of a loved one, a failed business, nasty custody divorce, uh, life happening. And I made a decision at that time that, you know what? I think I can help these people. I always liked the good fight. I was always a David versus Goliath kind of guy. I'm a street kid from Brooklyn. I never backed down. And I made a decision at that time that I was going to open up a tax resolution shop and help these people. I knew nothing about, I never hardly ever talked to the IRS. My tax experience at that time in 1998 consisted of you know corporate taxes and doing some manual 1040s for family and friends uh, but I knew that if the law was on my side, I can help these people. And that's what I decided to do. Now, and it's, you know, it's, it's something that is not only noble, it's really needed. I had, uh, at the time, I had a, a, a wealth management uh, in Silicon Valley. We had a very successful uh, practice with a lot of successful entrepreneurs. And I got my master's in tax. And I had a partner who was a CPA. And we had a large tax practice, I think about 1,200 and I just remember a few times where, you know, services that you're talking about were so needed and they, they were, you know, they, they weren't bad people. I mean, you know, nobody gets out of life unscarred. We all know yep. it at this point in our lives. And, you know, some scars are deeper than others and some, you know, just you can't bounce, bounce back right away. And then all of a sudden you've got this huge liability. And, you know, it's just it, it is such an important thing that um you know hopefully none of our listeners need this but we want to have you prepared uh right. so in case you do but you know before we go into the tax side i want to just get a, a few of the business things and michael one of the you told me your dad uh, gave you one of the life lessons we were just talking before we turned yeah. on the camera and uh, nobody walks and everyone's a liar and i'm going geez that sounds like my dad but i want to hear what your <laughs> translation is Right. So uh, as I talked to you about, I'm a second generation Holocaust survivor. Um, and I was always involved in my father's retail businesses at a very young age, at like nine or 10. I started working in his businesses and he had many. He had a women's uh, clothing shop in Clifton, New Jersey. He had delicatessens. He had restaurants, he even had a hotel in the Catskill Mountains. And one thing he told me that I learned was every, uh, nobody walks. Everybody's a liar. And I took that into my business uh, dealings. And what that means is when this, nobody walks is this. When anyone ever walked into my father's stores, they did not leave without the cash register ringing. So that meant that if someone was coming in to see me for a consultation or over the phone, 
I was not doing my job unless I was able to help that person and get retained. So that's what I mean by nobody walks. If they were coming in, they were leaving, there was an exchange. There was an exchange of services in exchange for their credit card or their check. So that's number one. Number two was everybody's a liar. When people said they had no money to hire me, that meant they did have money to hire me because if they were coming into a professional's office, you know, I'm a CPA and a certified tax resolution specialist, and their discomfort and pain was large enough, they were expecting to pay for professional fees. So I can't tell you how many times people would come in, and by the way, a, a lot of CPAs and attorneys don't do this work because they think that how can somebody pay me who owes thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars to the IRS? Well, the answer is in advance, of course. Uh, so I learned early on uh, how to find the money for them, and sometimes they found the money themselves. So if they said they had no money, that just meant I didn't do my job good enough to convince and persuade and influence them to hire me. No, you know, this is great. Now, I want to, you know, kind of, I always think of when nobody walks, this is kind of the quiet confidence that you have and that, you know, your fellow entrepreneurs who are successful have because we know we can deliver value. And if somebody's yep. coming to us, you know, that we can serve, then, you know, we're doing them a disservice. Yes. By not, Absolutely. you know, by not doing the business. As a matter of fact, I mean, you know, we, we should, I used to, when I was working, you know, as a financial advisor, I, if, if I, I would tell them, you know, geez, we're going to make a huge difference. And then if they said, you know, John, you're not the right one, I, I would apologize because I wasn't communicating effectively because, yes. you know, the impact. And there's so many other advisors, you know, and you're especially and in mine, I'm gonna call them pretenders, that mm -hmm. they're well-intentioned. We're gonna give them the benefit of the doubt they're well-intentioned, but they're not good at what they do. They're not right. knowledgeable. And you know, everyone's a, a liar and this is, <laughs> I am thinking back, Michael, there's a couple times where we did take some of those clients and didn't take it initially in advance. Yes. And I did learn that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the misfees were a, uh, one of the challenges, but you know, let me stay on the business tack. And you know, one of the things that you said that uh, I think is really important is this getting out of your comfort zone. And I'm big on that, but you took it a little further than I do. And you said, making fear your friend. What do you mean by that? Well, think of fear as the following. It's a mile high, a mile wide, but paper thin. All you have to do is poke your finger through it and you're on the other side because 99% of what our brain tells us we're fearful of never materializes. Uh, and, and, and you know, fear is based basically in two categories, losing something you already have or not being able to obtain something you want. If you think about your fear, it really comes down to those two categories. And when you think about it that way, it's so much easier to punch through it. So that's what I mean by making fear your friend and getting out of your comfort zone. Because for me, you know, we all as humans like to do things we're comfortable with. We like to stay in, in our box, so to speak. But the real growth, the real success, the real financial success comes when you come out of that and you're out of your comfort zone. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more on both points. It's, yeah, getting, you know, getting out of your comfort zone, uh, you know, I didn't realize as a pilot in the Navy, you get out of your comfort zone. That's just kind of, you know, oh. you don't even think about it because you, 
you've never flew before type thing. But, you know, then, you know, when you get in the business, it's so easy to kind of settle in and, you know, things are changing so dynamic. And if you're not uncomfortable, you're not going to be growing. And, and fear, so often the fear is, it holds you know, us it, back. It's just, it's really holding us back. And, you know, I love the analogy of just pushing through it and, and it's paper thin because so much of it's a mindset. And yes. as entrepreneurs, we have to protect our mindset so much. I mean, this is, this is, you know, so easy, my, you know, to, to Michael, to have that kind of challenge along the way. But, yeah. you know, a lot of times it's people that cause this. And I love, you know, when we were talking, you, you said, uh, you know, kind of this never hold on to resentment and pray for your enemies. You always go a step further than me. I'm a big believer in never hold, uh, you know, uh, on to resentment because it does you more damage. But I don't know that I'm a you know, good Catholic boy that I am. I'm not sure I'm praying for the, my enemies. Yeah. So tell that me what you mean here. One. That was a tough one for me, John. That was a tough one for me. But, but that's when I was freed from that resentment because um, you know, I, I uh, as, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I'm a recovering addict. I've been in uh, a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous for a number of years, many years. Uh, alcohol was not my drug of choice. However, um, I was betrayed uh, by one person in particular, a former business partner, and the betrayal left a huge scar uh, with me. And for years, I could never forgive this gentleman. I mean, it was it was it was bad. And then I learned that in order to get out of that resentment, you know, without, get out of that anger, I was always angry that I had to pray for this person as if he was sick with cancer, mm -hmm. that he should have the same successes that I'm asking for, please give it to this guy. And when I did that, all the resentment and anger dissipated. And it was a really epiphany. It was a big epiphany for me. And to this day, you know, I go through a morning ritual. To this day, I still pray for this guy. No, it's, it really is interesting. I, uh, I won't. I, I had a partner, and I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, everybody was a that's partner an too. Yeah, that has that, and a long-term partner, big success together, and then we kind of went in different directions. And I just remember for a period of time, I was so angry. Yep. And I remember, you know, I, I've met your wife. Uh, you haven't met mine, but I've got a great wife. And she's going, you know, life is really good for yeah. in a great position. You know, I don't think he cares that you're angry. And right. why are you doing it? And, I got you know, news. You're right. He's not thinking about you 24-7. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, and it really, it was like that, those aha moments that we have, you know, as business people and really just going through life. And, and I want to encourage anybody that's going through that is, you know, talk with your, a fellow entrepreneur that's not involved in it, particularly, you know, maybe uh, that's lost a little hair along the way in, you know, a number of years. Because what, what happens is once you release that, I mean, it's so freeing. And, you know, and I find now because once I, I mean, that was my big crisis. Once I've done that, it's kind of like, okay, it's pretty easy to deal with almost anything life throws at you. And life is going to throw things at yeah. us. Well, let's talk about throwing things because this is where, you know, I wanted to have you come on particularly, you know, your specialty. And, 
And one of the things you told me, uh, and you know, I do have a background in tax. I'm pretty knowledgeable about it. I've built some pretty large businesses and dealt with some significant tax challenges. But the, you told me there's a solution to every tax problem. Uh, you know, this is where I, I know we've got some fellow entrepreneurs listening to us. They're going, I don't know, Michael. Tell me what you mean there. Okay, what I mean is there's a solution to every tax problem. Th what that means is this. It may not be the solution that you are hoping for. You know, a lot of people come in with certain uh, expectations on how to resolve their problem without expertise. So when I say there's a solution to every problem, it means that the solution may be in some instances that you're full paying the liability. Okay, that, you know, that, that is a small percentage of, of my, my work, but that's what I mean there's a solution to every problem. 99% of the time when a taxpayer comes to us with a tax problem, we're able to significantly improve their situation after they're, after they're retained. So, so, Michael, help me out. Let, let's you know, pretend I don't have any tax problems or anything like that Thank right goodness. now. But let's let's go that I have, or we, we you know we know Joe. Let's make it Joe. I, I'm okay. feeling a little pain here with the tax problems, <laughs> and but Joe, you know, has had something happen in his life. Life intruded, as we talked about, and all of a sudden he's got this big liability and he's unable to pay it currently. You know, we'll just we don't need to make the you know, and it's a big check and he just yep. can't do it and you know he's starting um you know they haven't the irs hasn't showed up physically but they're now starting to mail and mm -hmm. joe's going you know what i need help you know if he were to walk into your office and i know you you train you know a, the, a big part of this industry so you know kind of walk us through the expectations of, you know, I, I don't want to go, we'll go into, you know, how to find the right guy in a little bit, but I want to go, what, they walk into the office of the right person. Yes. How, how does that come together? Well, uh, well, he probably found that person, that right person, either through a referral or through uh, some marketing or direct mail marketing or online marketing. Uh, but that person, if, if the practitioner is on his game, he can provide immediate relief to Joe right away as soon as joe retains the practitioner that person now has power of attorney they fill out a form 2848 and all of a sudden joe no longer has to deal with the irs he no longer has to speak to the irs he no longer has to correspond to the irs he now has an advocate in the middle as his spokesperson uh representing him so that practitioner steps into the taxpayer's shoes and becomes the authorized representative now to deal with the IRS on behalf of Joe. So he's providing immediate relief right off the bat just by doing that. Yeah, no, it's kind of an ah, you know, fresh, you know, all of a sudden there's just a release of energy. You got somebody on your side and, you know, that's knowledgeable. And this is, we're gonna, I wanna come into how do we find the right person, but I wanna go through the process assuming we have at it. So, you know, all of a sudden I feel oh, great. You know, we've done the engagement, you've got the power of attorney, and then, you know, walk me through kind of a normal, you know, I know everything okay. is a little different, but what would sure. be a normal progression? Okay, well, there's three phases of every collection case. So this is not an, an, an audit we're talking about. We're talking about somebody who owes, uh, you know, let's say uh, mid six-figure debt or even a seven-figure debt to the IRS. So three things need to take place. 
One, the first is investigation, where the practitioner is going to get Joe's complete tax transcripts and record of account from the IRS. And there's a special division within the IRS that handles getting all that history and discovery, if you will, from the IRS. The second phase is compliance. Compliance means getting the taxpayer in current compliance with any and all legally required tax returns that haven't been filed, and that includes 941 payroll taxes, or 1040s, or 1120s. Also, compliance means is to make sure the, the client, Joe, from this point forward, is withholding properly or paying any payroll federal tax deposits from this day forward. Forget about all the past due stuff. That doesn't matter right now. He needs to be in current compliance from the moment you're retained. And the third phase is what I call ultimate or permanent resolution. And that's finding a, a solution to his problem, which can take four different avenues, a offering compromise, which is the IRS's uh, debt settlement program. It could be a partial pay installment agreement where you're paying, you're still paying less than what's owed. It could be a regular installment agreement where you're paying full boat, but the IRS is giving you 72 to 84 months to pay that. It could be a penalty abatement scenario, or it could be a currently not collectible scenario if there's sufficient financial hardship. No, and it's, I mean, this is important. I want to dive just a little bit more into each of the areas, Michael. So one of the things, getting current, you know, the when things start falling apart, yep. you know, you know, it's like, I don't want to talk to the IRS. I don't want to do anything whatsoever. And so the returns just stop being filed. Like, yep. You know, that's going to help. And, you know, getting them current, how, how does that affect, you know, because, I mean, obviously there's different levels of penalties for, you know, yep. lack of compliance and lack of payment type. Thing. Yes. Well, payroll, owing payroll taxes, let me tell you, is the kiss of death. Mm -hmm. Okay, because after you're 16 days late on filing the 941 and not paying what's due, you the penalties accumulate to 33% within 16 days. Okay. Uh, the other thing that's very, very dangerous is the IRS being the most brutal collection agency on the planet is the only creditor on earth that can pierce the corporate veil without a court order. So in other words, they can assess the individual shareholders, the trust fund portion of those payroll taxes. So if you're a business and you're behind in payroll taxes, also the criminal threshold bar is very, very low when someone owes payroll taxes because what you're doing is you're stealing the government's money because you're withholding uh, money from your employees you're supposed to withhold account and pay that over to the IRS. So, so check this out. Your employees are getting a W-2 at the end of the year for the credit that has been withheld. So they're filing a tax return and taking the credit for withheld. Meanwhile, that money has never been paid over to the IRS. And the IRS can construe that as a criminal uh, action. So it's very, very important that if you're a business and you owe payroll taxes, you need professional representation. Yeah, I mean it's it's one of the quickest ways to get shut down. But let's yeah. let's go a little further. So we, we've gotten, you know, we're, we, we've taken care of the compliance issues. We've, we've seen what has to be dealt with immediately, what doesn't, and you've you've got all the information from the taxpayer, or the fellow entrepreneur, and you know one of the things that, geez, if we have a tax problem, what we'd like it to do is go away. So I mean, yes. you know the the, the um, 
uh, you know, the, the various four settlements, I mean, there's a huge difference. If I, I've got a million dollar liability, you know, having an offer accepted at a huge discount. And, you know, when we see the radio ad or hear the radio yes. ads and, you know, yes. I mean, it's almost guaranteed, I thought. And well, then, you know, well, partial I, I, and installment. Yeah. How, how, do you how do you decide, you know, what to present to the IRS or, and, right. and really counsel the uh, taxpayer? Well, 70% of people who owe the IRS do not qualify for the offering compromise. Let me just say that. I mean, that's what, and, and look, I teach other CPAs and attorneys, that's the hook to use in their marketing because everybody wants to cut a deal. Everybody wants to pay less. So that's the hook you're gonna see in the marketing. But the reality is 70% of people normally do not qualify for the offering compromise program because here's what it is. It's a formulaic driven process that looks at the current financial position of the debtor. Okay, it has nothing to do with what happened last year. What's the current financial position of the debtor? And the IRS looks at the net equity and assets. So if you own a home with a lot of equity, you're probably not a good candidate. If you have stocks and bonds that are worth a lot of money, you're probably not a good candidate. If you have collectibles or car collections or antiques or art, you may not be a good candidate. So like I was saying earlier, in my world, bad is good, good is bad. The more destitute you can appear on paper, the more uh, likely you will get a really good settlement with the IRS. I mean, my average acceptance rate for offers when I was doing offers and compromise was 17 cents on the dollar. So 83% was written off or forgiven. And I had a very high acceptance rate because I did a lot of due diligence with the taxpayer, with the debtor, before we would even submit the offer. So I didn't take a case. If I didn't think it would fly, I wouldn't take the case or I wouldn't submit an offer and compromise. Now, this is great, Michael. Let, let's go because, I mean, there's a, you know, this has grown you know, since you know, 1988. It's a big industry. And, 1990, oh, 1998. I'm sorry, yeah. I wrote it down wrong. And um, thinking it came out of the Reagan tax reform act yes. here. But what, what happened is, you know, as we do this, you know, one of the things I want, you know, if, if any of our fellow entrepreneurs are there now or have these challenges down the road, um, you see, you know, I hop in a car and it seems like almost anytime I'm in a car, you know, yes. listen to the radio, I hear somebody advertising this. And you a know, lot of those it, are my members. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and, but how do I tell? Right. You know, who is good and who isn't? Because this is, I mean, this is, you know, oftentimes tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, yes. millions of dollars. Well, several things. You, 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 as the consumer, the taxpayer, need to get, uh, you know, three or four major questions answered. Okay. The first question is, is how many offers and compromise have you submitted? And how many were accepted? I mean, just that answer alone will tell you a lot about the practitioner. Or how many penalty abatements have you submitted and how many have been successful? What is on average the savings per each client? I know my situation may be different, but give me an average based on a more likely than not scenario, given my particular circumstances, what could I expect? Okay, and that person should also have, if you're looking them up online, they should have a dedicated, devoted, tax resolution site, okay? If they're a CPA or an attorney and it looks like a CPA or attorney website, 
which most of them suck, by the way, uh, I'm sorry to say. Um, but if it looks like that, the taxpayer needs to know they arrived at the right place. So the website's got to be 100% devoted or dedicated to tax problem resolution. And what I used to do is I used to have my scorecard published on my website. You know, I, of course, I wouldn't use the uh, taxpayer's name, but I would have a grid. This is the amount they came to me with. This is the amount I settled it for. This was the percentage of savings. And these, and this doesn't include the fee. So I had a scoreboard uh, in you know over 16 years. I I saved people well over 100 million dollars uh, through the offering compromise program. Uh, the second question they should ask is, Are you a certified tax resolution specialist? Okay, we we assume that they're a CPA or an enrolled agent or an attorney, but they should have that second designation, certified tax resolution specialist which is given out by a nonprofit organization called the ASTPS, or the American Society of Tax Problem Solvers, which I'm also uh, involved in. No, this is great. You're saying three questions. That was two. Um, so, you know, we went ahead and we went and, you know, really looking that they've actually done this. <laughs> yes. You know, so that they haven't, you know, read one chapter ahead of you is, yeah, and and yeah, you know, we say that jokingly, but unfortunately, there's a lot of people that will, with good intentions, take you on because they're willing to learn at your expense. Don't want right. that. Second right. is we want to make sure they're specialists. Is there anything else, Michael? We should be really watching out for. Um. Yeah, they should. I mean, if you walk into that person's lobby. Their lobby should have uh, success stories or case studies, like a testimonial binder. Uh, they should, like my lobby, I had a video loop playing with uh, client success interviews. I even, I even had framed offer and compromise acceptance letters from the IRS. I would redact the taxpayer's name, but in red going across diagonally, I'd put amount owed, amount settled. And I would actually frame those letters and stick them up in my lobby uh, because they knew when they walked into my office, I was the guy. So, yeah, no, and it's, I mean, and that's, that's so important. You know, we've all, you know, as we're hiring people, I've had so many times where well, he's a really nice guy, but he's yeah. not the guy type thing. And, and by know. the way, one of the things I would tell client, the first thing I would tell a potential client who walked into my office, and this is how the, the first two sentences went. Hey, Joe, look, I don't know if I'm the right guy who can solve your IRS problem. I don't even know if we're the right firm who could solve your IRS problem. But to see if there's any way we can help, do you mind if I asked you some questions? That there is the biggest takeaway in the world. I'm a big believer in takeaway sales. But not only that, you're now having a conversation with your neighbor, Joe. He's thinking you're gonna high pressure sell him, sell him or he's thinking you're gonna hammer him. Now you're having a conversation. By the way, people are a lot more honest with the information you're going to get from that point forward. Yeah, no, I, I love that, and I'm a big believer. I yeah, I call it a discovery meeting. We're just yeah, we're exploring whether we're the right firm to serve you, and if we're not, exactly. we'll point you in the right direction if we can. Exactly. Yeah, because exactly. you know you're not right for everyone. Yeah. Uh, Michael, let, let's go to resources and. I know uh, you have a, you know, you're training so many of these tax resolution specialists. Yes. I want to pull up your website, maybe describe your business to our fellow entrepreneurs. Okay. 
So what I do now, so for, for 16 years, I actually uh, owned, operated, and ran one of the largest, most reputable tax resolution firms in the country. So I exited that business a little over three years ago to basically train people uh, to do this work ethically because they're, most CPAs and EAs and even a lot of attorneys uh, are struggling. I mean, if you take out the East Coast and the West Coast and just look at the country in between that, a lot of these professionals are struggling financially. Uh, so I wanted to show them that not only can they make, because there's fortunes in this business, and what I teach is value pricing, so there's no limitation, there's no cap. Uh, and also, there's so much more demand than supply. There's so many more people in trouble with the IRS than there is supply. So I want to mint, if you will, practitioners who can help these taxpayers like I first started doing. So that's that's what I do now. So I train them uh, with info products and, and uh, online uh, seminars and webinars and live events um, and coaching and masterminding and, uh, you know, basically a, a information marketing model where I coach, train and consult. Yeah, Michael, how would you, your fellow entrepreneurs, one of the things you've done and I've done, you know, I, I grew up as a uh, top financial advisor, wealth manager, you know, sold a couple of the businesses and then decided to really help other wealth managers be, yep. you know, more successful by serving the right clients and making a huge difference in their life. So, I mean, we're on this journey together. Yes. Why don't you just make a comment on, you know, what I find so many fellow entrepreneurs ask me about, and I'm sure they ask you too, is, okay, I, you know, I've been successful in my industry. I've you know, been, you know, top, uh, maybe a great, I'm gonna say technician. They have really yep. done the art of what I do well. And I want to expand it a little bit and really bring it, you know, make a bigger, you know, I'll use Steve Jobs, you know, bigger den in the universe. I want to expand that. How did you go about, you know, doing that? Well, I learned early on that the, the, the two most important things about any business, especially professional practices, there's only really two things that move the needle, and that's marketing and innovation. And I, 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 gave marketing or I made marketing the overarching umbrella to everything I did in my business. Okay, my deliver, I knew I was a good technician. I knew I was really good, but my deliverables really are secondary to the marketing because marketing, the savvy marketers in any professional practice are the ones that rise to the one to 5% top of the profession. You know, when people ask me what I did for a living, I tell them two things. Number one is I told them I was an emergency room for people that had IRS problems. And number two is if they ask me what kind of company do you have, I say I said I have a marketing and sales organization that provides professional services. That's how I thought of my business because without the marketing, without the innovation, you're not going to grow. You're just going to be stagnant. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Let me go over the key takeaways, Michael, that I'm walking sure. away with is, you know, the, the number one thing, uh, uh, nobody walks. I'm going to I'm going to keep that in my mind now. Totally. And everyone is a liar. You know, just 
Uh, I'm going to be thinking of your dad and you on that. And I, I think that's really good framing because, you know, I do like that quiet confidence that we know we can deliver a tremendous value. And each of us as entrepreneurs, we've we've got to get that second, you know, getting out of our comfort zone and, and you know, making fear your friend. I mean, you know, we've all been uncomfortable as entrepreneurs. And, you know, a lot of times people think entrepreneurs are big risk takers. We're not. We're trying to minimize it as much as possible. But it is. You got to step out of the box as yep. Michael was saying. And, and and it's just, you know, it's it's really big. And then I think one of the best life lessons, you know, for me and it sounds like for you was never holding on to resentment. Yes. You, we are going to get scarred along life and there's going to be people with the knife doing it to us type thing. And praying for the enemies. I'm going to try that one. I haven't done yeah. that yet, but I, you know, yeah. I, I've always wished them well. And I, you know, it's uh, uh, my former partners have all done well. We've all been able to make a difference. And, you know, this is something that once we let that go, it's just so freeing. Yeah. And then, you know, the, you know, taking it to the tax part, there's a solution to every tax problem. One of the big things I think, Michael, you would agree totally is, you know, just face the problem and deal with it. Don't let it fester because it can get really ugly. Yeah. One wrongly. of my marketing, one of my marketing taglines where I did my own radio spots was be a man, man up, get your head out of, out of the sand, belly up to the bar and take care of it. Yeah, because if you don't, uh, somebody will, and it's not going to yes. be you, and it's going to be ugly. So deal with it, and then how to find the right guy. I mean, you know, just some really key things that, you know, we want somebody that's got experience, they're a specialist, they're recognized, they've got a reputation with other professionals yes. for making it happen. And then, uh, you know, kind of we finished up on, which I think is really powerful, and we do a lot of research on every profession, whether it's financial advisors, attorneys, accountants, other specialists. And I got to tell you, the, the biggest differentiation of success is not talent. There's right. so much hidden talent out there. Now, there's a lot of incompetent, too, but hidden yeah. talent. But it's that expert talent. And it's really what you talked about, Michael. It's, you know, they're out there, they're marketing, they're doing the innovation. So, you know, to be successful, you gotta have that as a major focus. Michael, yes. thank you so much. John, you know, thank you. Yeah, there's some great life lessons. Go to, uh, I've got the website above, aesnation.com. If you're not there watching this, or you're listening, go to aesnation.com. We've got the transcript, the show notes, links to everything that we talked about. And definitely, if you got a tax problem, man up, as Michael <laughs> said, and put these life lessons in place. Your clients, your future clients, and your strategic partners, they're going to love you for it. Don't let them down. Wish you the best of success. Thank you, John. Thank you, everybody. Exceptional, remarkable breakthroughs. AESNation.com